0: This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the Storytelling Podcast. This is the place to hear fantastical fiction and hear from authors of fantastical news stories. This episode is another chapter in the fantasy novel Plantwise, book one in the Stewards World series. If you're ready for the magic of story, let's begin. Chapter 15. If he couldn't trick her into marriage, perhaps he should try to make her feel guilty enough to come to Stone Mountain to heal the tree? While she was there, he would have unlimited opportunity to fuddle her simple woman's mind and bend her to his will. That could be entertaining. But he would have to admit there was something wrong with the tree, and admit she had made the tree, rather than the mysterious, seldom-seen wizards. He could always claim that he had just recently discovered where the tree came from, that his soldiers had liberated it from a band of brigands, and he had recognized its magic and planted it to protect it. She would believe his story, because hadn't she believed all his other stories and twisting of facts for his convenience? Yet in the end, he would have to admit she had made the tree, and only she could heal it. No, he growled. I won't give her that victory. Maddox swallowed a curse and forced his face back into a pleasant expression as his escort soldiers glanced at him in fear-tinged curiosity. He wouldn't give Arden the satisfaction of knowing he needed her meager magical talents. He would prove that anyone with a modest amount of magic could serve him. And wouldn't that shame her? Wouldn't that teach her not to defy his plans and goals? he would find someone else to heal the tree, even if he had to promise half his kingdom to do it. Maddox nearly laughed aloud when he realized the silent vow he had made. Wasn't that how it always happened in the old stories? The king promised half his kingdom, or the hand of his prettiest daughter in marriage, and then wonderful things happened. Heroes arrived, magic occurred, and everything was set right again. Well, he would do it. There had to be someone. "'somewhere, who had more magic than Arden and could cure the apple tree. "'Then, bolstered by the magic he had taken from her, "'he would settle accounts with Arden and Westerland. "'Arden met the returning soldiers at the gates of Portham, "'in the same spot where she had stood watching her brother and husband ride away. "'She wore all black, and her long hair was braided with black ribbons "'and covered with a black veil.' The entire city seemed wrapped in black morning, and though there wasn't a cloud in the sky, the sun's light was dimmed. She expected cold wind and rain at any moment, all too appropriate for the late fall, yet with special significance. Alex and Darian returned to her at the head of the troops, but her brother rode in a wagon instead of astride his horse, pale and wrapped with bandages. Her husband rode in the second wagon invisible under the black cloth draping his hastily made coffin. Even then, seeing the physical proof of the nightmares that had plagued her dreams since the storm that sliced branches off the apple tree, she still couldn't cry. Arden stared with reddened, swollen eyes, and the ice inside grew a little more solid. She was aware of Glina hovering protectively around her, but for the first time in her life the woman's ghostly presence brought no comfort. Her parents killed by assassins, her husband murdered in an ambush when peace was within their grasp, and her brother likely to be a cripple for the rest of his life. This is all Maddox's fault, she murmured, as the wagons carrying her brother and husband rode past her through the gates into Portham. Careful, child, Glynna crooned, as always trying to touch and give her comfort. You must rise above this, or Maddox will win. He already has won. She didn't care that Coleman gave her one askance glance, then looked through the empty air around her, as if he could see Glynna after all this time. No, as long as you can love, as long as you can hope, you are the victor. Remember, give him enough time, and his crimes will always turn around to punish him. Time! Arden choked on what could have been a sob, or a bark of bitter laughter. "'See what our patience has done to us. Look what Maddox has done to us.' She looked at Coman as she spoke, and the faithful old counselor nodded. Sympathy as well as understanding. "'You are the soul and heart of this kingdom, Arden. Do not let the poison into your heart or the entire kingdom falls. Look what Maddox's poison has done to his own land,' her teacher continued." Look what it has done to us! I curse Maddox. He has taken my husband and nearly killed my brother, all for his pride. All he has now is his pride, and may he choke on it. Her voice rose as she spoke, until it rang off the gates and wall around the city. Those who stood at the gates nodded and murmured among themselves, echoing her words and approving, and on the final word, A thunderclap rang through the air, though not a cloud could be seen in the sky. In the Westerland Palace Gardens, the apple tree shivered, twisting slightly, as if it tried to wrest itself from the soil. One bright burst of golden-green light erupted from it, then vanished, leaving the tree looking rather shrunken and wrinkled and ordinary. A single apple fell and rolled across the matted grass." Ambrose sat in his usual spot with his back against the wall, watching the ailing tree in the stone-mount royal garden. It shivered, and hundreds of half-dead leaves fled its branches. Just as the whispering rustle of the shedding began to die away, a loud crack reverberated through the garden, bouncing off the stone wall and echoing out until it hit the palace walls. Three branches split off the main trunk, falling to the ground with a clatter. "'Oh, my dear Arden,' the tired old healer whispered, "'what have you done now? Maddox deserves it, but can you pay the price?' He pushed himself to his feet and tottered on aching legs to the battered, lightless tree. He leaned against it for nearly an hour, comforting them both. Now, even he doubted there was anything but the faintest touch of magic left in the shriveled, poor trunk.' Maddox paced the confines of his study, growling under his breath, wanting to smash something, anything, preferably smash someone in particular, several someones. But Alex was far out of his reach, hidden behind hordes of healers and loyal palace guards. Arden was sending back all his letters without even opening them. How could he seduce her simple, stupid woman's mind and heart if she wouldn't even read his letters? He would have found some satisfaction in swinging the brat, Violet, by her heels and throwing her against the wall. But Maddox knew better than to hope he would ever get the chance. And now, this final blow to his carefully crafted plans, taking a major weapon out of his grasp. Word had come that Dylan was dead. How could he control Ambrose without a threat constantly hanging over Dylan's head? The truly frustrating part was that he couldn't bring his wretched, distant cousin's body home to Stonemount and have a grand state funeral and impress everyone with his grief. Dylan had been his usual self-sacrificing, idiotic self and had gone into a copper mine to help rescue some trapped miners. The cave-in had been caused by flooding, and there was no hope of retrieving the bodies that had been washed away. While Maddox had always loathed Dylan, he did value him as a hostage. Now he had a new task, and sure Ambrose became even more isolated and immured in his rooms, so people forgot he was there. And when the time came, he would have no one to receive his gifting but the one Maddox chose. For a time, Maddox had intended to take his great-uncle's gifting himself, but possessing any kind of magic required that he use it once in a while. He loathed the thought of having to look at, much less touch, anyone who was ill. According to Ambrose's idealistic lectures, using the healing gift required some sympathy on his part. Maddox firmly believed whoever had made up the rules for giftings had been insane and needed to be violently punished with a lingering, painful death. Feeling sympathy and being forced to use the magic, rather than save it for profitable purposes— was disgustingly inconvenient. He flung himself into his chair to finally do what he dreaded most, send a letter to Dermod asking for guidance. How could he do it without sounding like a whining brat, as Dermod had accused him of several times, and without actually admitting he needed help? It was aggravating. Humiliating. He might need to finally order Jago's execution, just to raise his spirits. Of course— removing the arrogant self-righteous old smirker might clear the air and make it easier to think maddox was constantly on the alert for the old man to saunter into his office at the worst possible time and start lecturing him clancy and bathan stepped into the room from their sour expressions they didn't have any good news for him he played with the idea of executing them too on the other hand It might be amusing to set each one against the other, with some story of treachery. Then again, he would have to go to the trouble of finding some other brutes so loyal, who enjoyed the dirty aspects of the jobs he gave them. Well, he snarled. He wouldn't like the news, but he had to hear it to find a remedy. Perhaps. The whole kingdom knows the tree is dying, Clancy said, with that bored tone that used to amuse Maddox. He had a gift for sounding bored about the most delightfully bloodthirsty details. The trick didn't work now, though, and that just made Maddox angrier. Far too many people credit it with the bounty right after it was planted, so now the shortages are blamed on the tree. Plus, news over the border is that Princess Arden cursed you. Then close the border! If we do, Bathan said. "'Sounding only faintly regretful about reminding him, "'We can't get any food from Westerland. "'Then tell the people Alex closed the border.' "'Maddox cheered up a little at that. "'He always liked making someone else a villain "'when his people suffered. "'Westerland will say otherwise. "'I'll keep them too busy to care what we say.' "'How?' Clancy said. "'Maddox clenched his fists, "'when he would have dearly loved to punch that glimmer of doubt "'off the man's face.' No, that was too direct. He wanted the realization that he was being punished to sneak up on his victim and the knowledge that a cure would come too late. A cure, he thought, as in a sickness? Or better, poison? Maddox had his answer. A slow grin lit his face. Now, where was that precious little treasure? He yanked a tiny key from the chain around his neck and stomped over to a cupboard kept locked even from his closest friends. He found a box he had filled years ago, when all his schemes were nothing more than smoky dreams, and too many people stood between him and success. Always best to be prepared for any difficulty, to destroy any obstacle. The box was coated in gold, inside and out, to prevent the contents from escaping. It was a fine black dust, so dark it absorbed the light that hid it. One of his earliest letters of guidance from Dermed had told him about the dust, how to obtain it, how he could use it, and how he should save it for the perfect opportunity when stealth and patience were vital to his triumph. Make a tiny hole in the lid and drop it in the main well of Westerland's palace. He handed it to Bathan as he spoke, his voice rich with gloating anticipation. The last time you tried to use poison, Bathan began, this will dissolve slowly. It needs to build up over time before it has any effect. Before anyone realizes that anything is wrong, all the children in the palace will be dead. His smile widened more as he contemplated the consternation and growing panic and the inability of anyone in Westerland to determine the cause. Not without a powerful healer like Ambrose to sense the poison at work and no one would have access to Ambrose and his gift unless they came to Maddox first. "'Starting with Arden's daughter?' Clancy asked, with a rumbling chuckle. He relaxed, slouching a little in his chair. "'It's about time you solved that problem.' "'Then you sweep her off her feet and finally make progress in taking over Westerland,' Bathan said. "'Seems to me it'd be easier making her come to you. Make her marry you to save her brat's life.' Too bad everyone knows the apples are bad. She has her own apple tree, idiot, Clancy said, with a tiny glitter of some amusement in his eyes that chilled Maddox. Those two weren't plotting against him, were they? Definitely. He needed to sow some seeds of jealousy between them. Maybe Jago was working against him, encouraging doubt in his two loyal henchmen? Definitely. He would have to deal with Jago soon. Plant some of the dust around the roots of the tree while you're there, Maddox said, and shrugged as if it was a ridiculously simple solution and they should have thought of it for themselves. In the winter? Just get it done! He swung his arm wide, gesturing toward Westerland, and nearly swept the troubling pile of papers off his desk. Maddox shuddered at the thought of touching them. And that was another dilemma to deal with, one he hadn't anticipated. How had his neat, clever, "'entirely logical plans gone so utterly wrong.' "'He braced his arms on the desk, "'on either side of the small pile of papers he had read "'with the fascination of someone facing his own possible death. "'They were marked with the dark green wax seal "'and rampant lion of the royal court of Brentonwald. "'They had been delivered by Lord Anselm, "'now Brentonwald's ambassador to Stonemount. "'The dark, gaunt man had made several pointed remarks,' to back up the politely worded messages in all the papers. Only a fool would ignore the implications. No, he shook his head. Let Arden suffer for a while. I have a larger problem to deal with. Brentonwald wishes to arrange a marriage alliance with their princess, Fiera. She's beautiful, Clancy said, with a leer that told exactly what kind of beauty he appreciated. And Brentonwald is dangerous. She has too many brothers for me to kill on my way to the throne. Taking that massive kingdom was too long-term a plan to consider ever wearing the crown, and even for a son of his to wear. But a grandson, yes, he needed a royal-blooded, compliant, conveniently dead and childbirth wife for that scheme to work. According to all reports, and his own few encounters with Fiera, she only fit the first criteria, for now. She was too strong-willed for his tastes, and too intelligent for him to seduce her into supporting his plans. She could see through him, perhaps warn her father and brothers if she guessed anything. And even worse, what if this marriage alliance was a strike against him? If he could gain a foothold in multiple kingdoms through marriage, what was to stop others from using the same tactic?' "'What's to stop them from killing you after she gives you a son?' Bathan said, after a few seconds of too deep silence. "'Exactly. I don't trust Brentonwald, and they have never trusted me.'" Spring was still weeks away when the illness took hold of Violet. One day, the little girl had been crawling around on her hands and knees, delighting her pale, chair-bound uncle. The next day, she was just as pale— and unable to rise from her little bed. Arden's first thought was to run to her apple tree, which had borne apples last winter despite the snow. This year, nothing clung to it but ice-coated brown leaves. The only glimmer of green came from the faint whispers of magic still humming through its trunk. Arden stood for hours at a time in windows and doorways, looking down on the palace gardens at her tree, begging it to thrive, to glow brightly again, to sprout new leaves and apples and give her child back her health. She wondered sometimes if she were being punished for not begging months earlier for apples to heal her ailing brother. Darian's death had left her in a gray fog where she hadn't cared about life. She thought sometimes she might have curled up and let herself fade away, except Alex and Violet needed her. The snow finally began to melt, the only real sign that spring was approaching. If there was green spreading through the land under the mud and dirty white that blanketed it, Arden had no sense of it. She had not walked barefoot to feel the heartbeat of the land since the day Darien and Alex rode off to war. Violet was dying, and nothing else mattered. One day, the only snow remaining in the palace gardens lay in the deepest shadows. Arden noted that detail and forgot it a moment later. She stood in the window of her bedroom, watching her tree, willing every last bit of life and strength remaining inside herself to the tree, and begging silently for it to return to life and bloom and full magic. She knew she should go to the tree, take off her shoes and wade through the icy mud and throw her arms around the trunk. But she couldn't. Violet lay in her bed, weak and chill and suffering bad dreams as she slept her life away. Arden couldn't take her child out in the chill air and wouldn't leave Violet alone for the time it would take to go downstairs to the gardens and return. What if her child died in the short time she was gone? Ambrose, Glynna began, as she floated over to Arden from Violet's bedside. Faithful Caitlin was in attendance as well. She was nobly born and deserved a better life than to wear herself out caring for someone else a child— but she willingly gave everything she had to either caring for Alex or Violet and trying to ease some of Arden's pain. A better, more faithful friend the royal family could never have found. My letters have not reached Ambrose in years. We know who is at fault. Arden's lips curled as if she would spit. A foul taste filled her mouth just from thinking about Maddox. There are a dozen remedies to try. And we shall try them all, she said. "'If only I had apples.' "'I don't think magic apples can heal this sickness,' Glynna whispered. "'They must. There is nothing else to do. Except ask Maddox to let you go to Ambrose.' "'I would rather die than ask for anything from Maddox.' Arden glanced at Caitlin and Violet, neither of whom reacted to her raised voice. "'Yes, you would,' Glynna said. "'But what about Violet?' Arden had no answer, except to break into tears. There was something amusing about it, she mused, even as her ribs ached with the force of her sobs. She had thought herself cried dry weeks ago. Glenna gasped, startling her. Arden caught her breath and hurried over to the window where her teacher hovered. A man sat on the wet grass underneath a pitiful, drooping, brown tree. She didn't recognize him in his sandy-brown, rough-spun clothes. Fury shot through her belly. Who was that? How had he gotten into the gardens? The gates were closed, simply to keep the people from seeing the tree and starting ugly rumors that it was dying. How did he get in here? Oh, you can't keep him out of anywhere he truly wants to be. Then Glynna surprised her by chuckling. Auntie? He's here for you, dear. Who? Who are you talking about? Caitlin joined her at the window and looked down into the garden. She frowned. That doubt and worry Arden hated to see dimmed her friend's eyes. Too many people had been looking at her with that expression, as if they feared she would break in a messy way. She can't see him, Glenna said. He's here for you. Best to be polite and hurry down. We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.